We want to thank you today for joining us at Truth Chapel's podcast. I pray this word would bring you life. I pray that it would edify you, encourage you, and enlighten you. If you have a moment, please subscribe and leave us a review. We will be so grateful. God bless, and let this word speak to your heart today. Um, if you have a Bible, if you would turn to me to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings beginning in chapter 6. 2 Kings 6, and I'll begin uh, at verse 15 of 2 Kings 6, beginning in verse 15. When you have it, just say, I got it. The Bible says this, and when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, a mountain. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. This morning, for just a few moments, I want to teach, I want to talk to you and ask you a question. What do you see? What do you see? Let's pray together this morning. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. I ask you to speak to us through this word. Encourage us through this word. That we would not just be hearers, but doers also. And we give you the praise and glory. And someone shout in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in his presence. Amen. As I teach this morning, you may hear uh, a beep in the background. Uh, we don't know what that is. We've made some phone calls, and we've pushed a bunch of buttons. Uh, it's still beeping. Uh, know this, there is no fire anywhere. Um, and I don't understand what it's doing, but we'll figure it out at some point. Uh, it's not going to bother me. I'm just going to teach right on. So don't let it bother you. Don't let it bother you because it's not going to bother me. What do you see? Perspective is a um, sometimes a very difficult thing to have, especially uh, in the world that we live in today. Because we see so much. Um, our, our vision is cluttered today in 2022 because not only do we see so much, but we have the opportunity to see so much. We have the ability to see so much. There was a time, and uh, I know in, in my life, I'm not, a, I'm not an old man at all. Um, I am only 43 years old. But there was a time in my life when you couldn't see as much as you see today. And I know that there's many people in the room uh, who may have more years under their belt than me who can remember a time when you even saw less than what I saw as a child. Um, I was raised without a TV when I was a very, uh, when I was just very small, maybe two or three years old, and my brother was about four or five. My mother and father decided to raise us without television, no television at all. Um, most of my adult, most of my life, I've never, I haven't had a TV. Um, even now, I don't have necessarily cable. We we have some streaming services that we use, but I don't watch TV. It's not something that I do. I don't. The TV in my house is not going all the time. Um, I 
rarely turn it on. If there's a golf game that I want to see, I'll turn that on. If there's a basketball game that I want to see, I'll turn that on. If there's a football game that I want to see, I'll turn that on. Uh, but now that my team is called the Commanders, I have no reason to even watch that. Um, uh, so, like, it, it, just, it just, I wasn't raised with it. So it, it, it wasn't something that, like, I was connected with. And, uh, but, I mean, today, our access, access is so much. Uh, it, you can see anything that you want to see. There's nothing off limits at what you can see. Matter of fact, the, the, way, the way that our world is today, people want us to see things um, and we don't even have to ask to see those things. They just come through. Uh, I mean, we don't even want to know about it. It's just happening it's on our phone. Uh, you know, it's, it's on, it's on our, uh, our devices. It's on our televisions, on our screens. We see so much. Um, and, and, and we've been desensitized to seeing things. Our, our, our vision is blurred because of everything that we see. There's so much access. And, and I, I have been guilty before of looking up a thought, maybe on YouTube, and like an hour later, I'm on the dark side of things. And I'm like wondering if the earth, earth is flat or if it's round. I, I've been pulled into that before. Like, you just like, I, I want to see something, but as you're trying to see something, there's other things that you didn't know existed that you can see as well, and a lot of things you can't unsee. And when the windows of our minds, the windows of our conscience is our eyes, and what we see is so powerful, and we don't understand it. This is what the Bible would tell us about seeing. The Bible would tell us that we should set no evil thing before our eyes because God understands that once you see it, you've seen it. Once you take it in, you, you've seen it. And what we see is very important. And we are conditioned, trained, so to speak. We're conditioned to see things a certain way. We're conditioned to have a certain perspective. That, that we're just conditioned that way. There, there are people in this world, most of us, most of us, myself included, uh, we, we have a tendency because of our upbringing, because of our training, because of our conditions, that we automatically see the negative in just about everything. Or when we see something, we automatically start looking for the angle. We automatically start, uh, you know, it's almost a too good to be true type situation, and we are trained to, to look for the angle. We're trained to look for the worst thing. We're trained to look for, it's just a natural part of humanity, I believe. It's a, it's a part of our DNA, but it's also a part of our conditioning. It, it, what, what, what do we say? It looks too good to be true. And so we, we look for the angle of how could this be different than what I'm seeing. I, I do know some people as well, they, they see the positive in everything. That is positive people. I don't know what's more aggravating, the negative or the positive. Because I've been around people who everything they see is negative, and that's aggravating. I'm like, come on, bro, everything's not like this. But then I've been around people, they see it positive and everything. That's aggravating too. Please stop it. If you say one more positive thing, I'm going to punch you in the face just so you can have something negative to talk about. Most of us, we fall somewhere in the middle there. Our perspective 
is different. If we could all get a different perspective, most of our lives would change. Because really at the end of the day, it's really just about perspective, how you see it. What do you see? When you look at your life, what do you see? When you look at your relationships, what do you see? When you look at your marriage, what do you see? Most importantly, when you look at yourself, what do you see? When you look at people around you, what do you see? When you look at your country, what do you see? When you look at your leadership, what do you see? Uh, when you look at the things that you own, the, the material things in your life, what do you see? When you look at your children, what do you see? When you look at your past, what do you see? When you look at your present, what do you see? And when you look at your future, what do you see? Because what you see matters. Because perspective controls our decisions. Perspective controls, a lot of times perspective controls our actions. What we do next really depends on what we see. If we look at our, let's just say for instance, look, we look at our future. And we see a great future. We see a promising future. We see a hopeful future. If we look at our future and our perspective about that, what we see in our future is good, is, is fantastic, is, it looks amazing. How we act now is determined by what we see then. What, what we do in this moment. Because if I see something promising, if I see something hopeful, if I see something great, what I see out there will dictate my behavior in this moment. Yeah. It, it uplifts me. It encourages me. I, I, I walk a little differently. I talk to people differently. I, I treat my family differently. I treat myself differently. If when I look, I see something great. But now we, if we flip that coin and we say, when I look into my future, all I see is negative and it's not going to work out and it's never going to be good. It's never going to be in my favor. It's, it's, just, it's just horrible. And when we look out into our future and, and, we, and we just, it, it's full of wonder and worry. What, what, what happens to now? I, I don't even want to try, right? I don't even want to try now. I don't even want to put forth the effort. I, I, I don't even want to, you know, I, I try not to, to even encourage myself or even let someone else encourage me because I've, I've already made up my mind about what is out there, and we all know that we can't control our future. I mean, we, I mean it's going to happen. What's going to happen is going to happen. The only thing we can do about our future is how we act in this very moment. We can't do anything about our past. We can't do anything about our future, but what we do in this very moment matters. But how I see tomorrow determines how I behave today. What you see matters. What do you see today? What do you see? The Bible tells us a story in 2 Kings in our reading today about a young servant who was serving Elisha. Elisha knows about being a servant because Elisha, the Bible says, serves Elijah. And so now Elisha is the man of God for the time and he has a servant. The Bible says the servant of the man of God got up early. Obviously, he got up earlier than the man of God. He got up early. The Bible says he went forth and behold, the entire city was compassed, surrounded with horses and chariots. Obviously a great army. A great army has surrounded the people of God. And what he sees 
is death. I mean, what he sees is destruction. There's so many of them. And, and there's enough of them that they have literally surrounded the city, both with horses and chariots, this great, this great army that has surrounded them. And be, because of what he sees, he says to the man of God, what shall we do? What are we going to do? There is uncertainty in his voice. There is uncertainty in his demeanor. He, he doesn't understand what's going on, and he doesn't understand how do we get out of this. We are surrounded. What I see is insurmountable odds. What I see is trouble on every hand. What I see is we are surrounded. What I see is destruction and devastation. What I see is a no-win situation. We lose. We're surrounded. We're done. What do we do? But the man of God answered him and said, fear not. See, the first thing that we have to understand is that there's the only way that we can have the right vision is if we understand how to deal with fear. Because fear clouds our vision. Fear clouds it. We, we, we can't see what God wants us to see if we're full of fear. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us power and a sound mind. Uh, 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 he's given us sense. He's given us understanding. He, he, he doesn't send fear. And the Bible also tells us this, that God is not the author of confusion. That, that if there's confusion here, God didn't write this book. Amen? He's not the author of confusion. If there's a lot of confusion and we don't know where to go, what to do, how to do it, God didn't write that book. That's not God's penmanship because he is not the author of confusion. He says the first thing you got to do is you got to get rid of that fear. You can't see what you need to see if you're full of fear. Fear clouds. Fear clouds what we see. Every one of us have been so afraid at times we saw something that wasn't there. Whether it be a ghost or a spider. Every one of us have been afraid at some point and we're like, oh, there it is. And everybody in the room is like, there's nothing there. But the fear makes you see what's not there. More importantly, the fear makes you forget what is there. When I was a young boy, I went hunting with a man in my church. His name was John Brawls. He came by the house, and he asked my father if we wanted to go hunt. Uh, the, the church that I was raised in, my father's church, we lived in a parsonage beside the church, and we had quite a bit of land. And behind several men in the church would hunt the land behind our building, behind our church, about six acres of woods there. And so this gentleman in our church came, and he spoke to my father and said, Hey, Pastor, you want to go hunting with me tonight, this evening? Uh, you know, we got some place out there that we hunt. And, and my dad said, no, I, I can't go tonight. And just like randomly, I, I was about 14 years old maybe. Just randomly my dad said, but one of my boys might want to go hunt. And my brother Brock, he didn't want to. And I was like 14 years old. I was like, sure, I, I'll go hunting. So I got my rifle and I got my stuff set up. And we went out in the woods. And uh, I lived literally on the border of um, Fort Bragg. When, when you walked out into the woods behind my house, and, and, and if you walked into those woods and you took a right, 
less than a mile away was the border of Fort Bragg, uh, where the 82nd Airborne Train, Delta Force, 7th Group. And at that time, the Air Force was there as well. There was Pope Air Force Base at that time there as well. Now it's, now it's an Army base. But back then it was an Air Force base. And we, me and my brothers, when we were kids, we would go out there in those woods and we'd play and we'd pick up old, old bullets that they used for training. And we found old helmets and knives, all kinds of stuff out there. GIs would drop stuff out there training all the time. And we, we, we played out there in the woods and, and we played Army and we did all that stuff. And uh, there were many, many t nights of my life I, I would just sleep right through the bomb. They would be practicing bombing out there and blowing stuff up. And it was just a part of our life. I, that's how I grew up. Uh, we would have friends in from out of town, and literally several, on several occasions, uh, you know, they would wake us up like, hey, man, we're under attack. <laughs> we're, we're under attack, bro. They're right outside the, they're right in the woods right there. You can see them. And I would be like, nah, but they're just training. This is our life. Like, just, I slept right through it. That was just kind of how we were raised. And so me and this gentleman in our church, we'd go out in the woods. He, there, there's a couple hunting spots. He finds one hunting spot. He puts me here and says, sit here, and there's a big thicket. And he said, you know, the deer come out of this thicket. They come over here to feed. And he said, I'm going to go on the, on, the, on the other side. That way we're not in each other's lines of fire. So he moved well out of my vision. I couldn't see him where he was. As it, twilight began to come down, at, 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 when it was just about to get dark, I could hear a pack of dogs in the woods. And there were several of them. And if, if, if that, that whole area... We all knew that there were wild dogs out there because GIs would go by a dog and then they would get orders for some other place and the dog couldn't go with them and they would just drop the dog off in the woods. This was, this is still a thing on Fort Bragg. Uh, if you know anything about that place, there, it's running rampant with packs of wild dogs because these guys literally, they all buy dogs and then they get orders and they just drop the dog off. And so I hear this pack of dogs in the woods and I could tell they're on the other side of the thicket. And I'm just sitting there at this point. I'm just like, well, there's dogs. It is what it is. Well, they start getting closer. And I can hear them through the thicket getting closer. And they're barking and they're growling. And I'm thinking, at first I'm thinking, you know what? They're, at first I'm thinking, you know what they're going to do? They're going to scare a deer out of that thicket. He's going to come running at me. I'm going to shoot me a deer. So I'm just sitting there. I'm waiting. And I realize there's no deer coming. But those dogs are coming. And I can hear them dogs getting closer. And I'm like 14 years old. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to be here when them dogs come through that thicket. And I'm terrified. And, and I, I could hear the dogs getting closer, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know. And I, fear overcomes me in that moment. And the guy who I'm hunting with, I don't want to scare him. He, I don't want to mess his hunt up. He's on the other side, and I can't see him. And so <clears throat> I know these woods like the back of my hand. So I get up, and I start moving quickly through the woods. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. Hunt's over. I'm, I'm going home. I start moving through the woods. Well, it's getting a little dark. I get a little twisted up. I don't know where I'm at. But as I'm walking and I'm walking away from the dogs, I realize that in my hand is a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun. Like, if the dogs do come through the thicket, I have in my possession everything I need to protect me from these dogs. One round of buckshot through that pack of dogs, and they're going to forget about me. They're gone. But because I was so afraid, number one, I, I forgot where I was. And these are my woods now. I've been playing these woods since I was a child. I get lost in my woods. I've, I've been playing hide-and-seek out here for years, and I get lost in my woods, and I forget that I'm armed with a, with a, with a pocket full of bullets because fear 
will make you forget. And fear will make you miss things that are right in front of you. I remember being in those woods that day, and I, could, I finally heard, I saw a flashlight through the trees, and I heard a voice. And he's, court, court. And I had never been so happy in my life to see Brother John Broyles. He said, what happened? I said, you know what, I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you. Those dogs scared me. He said, oh, man, them dogs weren't even close to us. I said, well, I thought they were right in front of me. I thought I was going to die. I totally forgot that I was armed to the teeth, and these are my woods. This is what happened to this young man. He forgot. He forgot who his God was. He forgot who was on his side. So Elisha prayed and said, Lord, would you open his eyes and let him see. Let him see, Lord, what is really out there. <clears throat> and when the young man opened his eyes, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots. And he could see that more were with him than were with them. And God, God not only did that miracle for the young man and allowed him to see finally what, that God was on his side, but then Elisha prayed again, and he said, Lord, I pray, I pray that his eyes be open, but I pray that the enemy's eyes be closed. He prayed for sight for the young man, but he prayed for blindness for the enemy. What I want you to know is that when you begin to really see what God wants you to see, the enemy stops seeing what they are trying to see. I wish today that many of us would gain perspective of our lives, our anointings, our callings, our situations, our families, our marriages, our trials, and our troubles. I wish today that we could really see what God is doing. We, we, we quote the scripture, Acts 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. Yes, we know that scripture. We quote that scripture. We preach that scripture, but we don't really believe that scripture. Because when bad things happen, we question God all the time. Not only do we question God, but we question ourselves. We forget what we have in our hand. We forget that we're armed to the teeth, and these are our woods. We forget that Romans 8, 28, and Romans 8 ends like this. If God be for us, who can be against us? There are more for us than are against us. And if you start seeing properly, the enemy can't see properly. You will see and the enemy can't see. Many of us could just change our walk with God today by seeing it differently. Many of us could walk away from a life of fear, turmoil, pain, anxiety, and depression if we could just see it God's way. If we could see behind the curtain, <clears throat> if we could see behind the curtain and see that there is no wizard of Oz. It's just a man pushing buttons. It's just a system that wants to keep us in fear and disunity. It's just, it's just behind the scenes, there is nothing but just principalities and rulers of darkness 
in high places. Just pushing all the right buttons. If we could really see, it's, it's how we see. I've, I've said this before, but, but I'll say it again. In, in the first book of Samuel, in the first, in first Samuel chapter 17, is probably the most preached about chapter in your Bible because first chapter 17 is where we meet Goliath and David kills Goliath. That's probably one of the most preached chapters in your Bible. But the Lord showed me this years ago, and I've said this here before, but I want to say it again today because I want to give you the power of perspective and what do you see. Because 1 Samuel 17, Samuel is writing this. This is, this is Samuel's writing. And Samuel talks about Goliath. This is what Samuel says about Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 4. This is what Samuel says. Samuel says, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He had greaves, greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went out before him. That's what Samuel saw. When Samuel looked out, that's what he saw. This dude is tall. He is strong. The head of his spear weighs 600 shekels of iron. This is a big dude. This is what Samuel sees when Samuel sees Goliath. This is what David sees, 1 Samuel 17, 26. And David spoke to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? Question mark. Here we go. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? The first thing that Samuel noticed about Goliath was how tall he was. The first thing that David noticed about Goliath is that he was uncircumcised. If you know anything about Jewish culture, you know what he's saying. What he's saying is, the first thing that Samuel saw, his perspective, was Goliath's greatest strength. David's perspective was Goliath's greatest weakness. Because what David was saying is, he's not in covenant with Yahweh. He's not a child of God. What Samuel saw is, look how tall he is. Look how powerful he is. Look how strong he is. When David saw the same man, David said, he's not in covenant with God. I am. That's why David said, I don't come to you with a spear or a sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Perspective. You can see the strength or you can see the weakness. It's up to you. What do you see? What do you see? You say, well, Pastor Chavis, all I can see is all my trouble. My troubles are all around me. I'm surrounded by my trouble. I'm surrounded just like this young man in 1 Kings. All I can see is that we are compassed with this great army that has surrounded us from all angles. All I can see is my trouble. But can I remind you of Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1? Here's what the prophet Ezekiel said. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Shabar, 
that the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. And you may have heard me preach about this several times, but to me this is one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible because we miss it. We, we, we don't understand this moment. Ezekiel is a captive. He's with the captives. He's among the captives. They are captives. They are POWs. But in the middle of his captivity, he sees God. <laughs> right in the middle of the trouble, we are captives. I'm among the captives. I am a captive. We have been overthrown. We lost the battle. We are now being taken somewhere to obviously be demeaned even more. And we are sitting down by the river among the captives. I am a captive. But here at the river, I opened my eyes and I saw visions of God right in the middle of captivity, right in the middle of my struggle, right in the middle of my pain. Right, surrounded by the enemy on all sides. As a captive, I opened my eyes and I saw God. Here's, here's what you need to know. I don't care what your circumstance is. What you see is more powerful than where you are. Can I say it again? What you see is more powerful than where you are. You can look at all the bad. You can look at all the worst. You can look at all that. Or you can lift your eyes up and say, I want to see God. Yeah. That's what he says in Isaiah, Isaiah 6 and 1. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, when my king died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. In the, king, in the year that my king died, in the year that I had lost, in the year that we had a funeral, in the year that I struggled, I lifted up my eyes and I saw the Lord right in the middle of a funeral. I saw the Lord right in the middle of a loss. I saw the Lord. It was the year that King Uzziah died, but I saw the Lord, and I saw him high, sitting on the throne, lifted up, and his train filled the temple. I don't care where you are. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Because what you see matters. The demoniac man had been in the tombs, cutting himself day and night. They tried to trap him. They tried to chain him up, probably for his own safety. They weren't trying to imprison this man. They are probably trying to keep him from killing himself. And they put chains on him, but he broke the chains. And he, he lived in the, in the tombs with the dead people. And, and, and there was a, he was possessed by not a devil. He was possessed by a legion of devils. But the Bible says in Mark chapter 5 that when he saw Jesus, he ran and worshiped him. Yeah. The, the, the same devil that, that made him break the chains, the same devil that would not let people control him, that, that same devil could not keep him from worshiping God. Because he saw Jesus in the middle of his pain, in the middle of his suffering, in the middle of his demoniac possession, he saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he worshipped him. He became a worshiper still possessed by the devil. He was worshiping God while he was still possessed. God had not yet delivered him. God had not yet set him free. The devils had not gone into the swine he was still full of the devil, but when he saw Jesus, what you see matters. What do you see? What is your perspective? What does it look like to you? What does it look like to you? What does it look like to you? I'll tell you what it looked like to Paul. 
in 2 Corinthians. I'll tell you what it looked like to Paul. He said in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, he said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. <laughs> we are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are cast down, but baby, we have not been destroyed. That's what he saw. He saw the distress. He saw, he saw the despair. He saw persecution. He saw being cast down, but he said, I'm not destroyed though. No, no, no. I, yes, I see it all, but I also see something else. I see that I'm not distressed. I'm not in despair. I'm not forsaken, and I'm not destroyed. That's what I choose to see. I choose to see that over that. He said, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things have, have worked, whatever such, whatever so things are full of mercy and grace, whatever such things are, are lovely, think on these things. See those things. If me and you want to, we can see every bad we want to choose. We, we can see it. We can see it. We, we can see it all. But Paul said, I choose not to see those things. I choose to see the other things. That's what I choose to see. That's what I want to see. Yeah. I've done this before, but I want to do it again today. There's, there's three questions. Three questions, and if you're taking notes today, th these three questions would be good uh, to ask yourself from time to time. These three questions can help us see what God wants us to see. The first question is, what are the facts? What are the facts? Here's what we don't preach a whole lot, and, and, and we need to. We need to. Um, here's what we preach. We preach the devil is a liar. Man, we get, we get excited, right? We start preaching that. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. Yay. We get excited. We start preaching about the devil being a liar. People will run the aisles. And that's true. He is a liar and the father of lies. But here's the problem. You are a liar too. Mm. Mm. That, that don't preach as good, does it? That don't preach as good. You a liar. You know you're lying. You've been lying. You're still lying. And you know why? Because we lie to ourselves all the time. We've been lying. And here's the problem. We lie so good, we believe it. Like some of y'all sitting here right now, and you don't think that you're able to do what God's called you to do. And that's a lie. You're sitting here right now, you think you're ugly, and that's a lie. You think you're no good, that's a lie. You think that you have no hope, and that's a lie. You think you can never change. And that's also a lie. You think people don't love you? That's a lie. You think no one cares about you? Also a lie. And you've been lying. And you're good at it. You're a good liar. You will probably throw the FBI a whole monkey wrench in the system because you're such a good liar. If they polygraphed you right now, you'd probably beat the machine. So what we have to ask ourselves is what are the facts? 
Don't ask yourself, what do I know? That's not, that, that's not going to help you. What you need to say, what are the facts? What do I know for 100% accuracy? Because that, right, that one question right there could save you a lot. Because you've already told yourself, you've already told yourself all these lies, and the devil's lying to you already. Now you're lying to yourself. And the Bible said, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. So you've already given the devil the other voice. So now the thing is established in your life because you've been lying and the devil's been lying. Here's what we need to do. Let him lie by himself. Because nothing is established out of the voice of one. There has to be an echoing voice to establish a thing. That's a biblical principle. So I'm going to let him lie. Let him lie. I'm not going to join him in the lie. When he lies to me and says, you are no good, you can't do this, I look at the facts. Here's the facts. God said I could. That's the fact, Jack. And, and the facts, the fact of the matter is that you don't have any evidence to the contrary. You say, well, God, God can't use me because I, well, listen, every because I, I got a story for you in the Bible of him using somebody either just like you or worse than you. I got a story for it. And I, not, not, not only do I have a story in the Bible, I can show you somebody probably sitting in this room. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If we could all throw our troubles in a hat and just reach in there and choose, you would not do it. You would not put your troubles in there. You would not because you might wind up with some junk. You might wind up with some craziness. You think your life is crazy. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you something. What do you know for sure, 100%? Here's the second question. The second question is introspective. What have I done to help or hurt my perspective? Me. See, the first thing we do, we look out. What are the facts? What I know for sure. The second thing we do is look in. What am I doing? What am I saying? What about me? Here's, a, here's the, the, the biggest thing, if I could ever teach you anything. This is Bible study, by the way. So I'm, I'm, I'm just teaching. I'm just teaching today. If I could ever help you, I'm going to help you right here. If you could ever start blaming yourself, you'd probably be a whole lot better off. And I know that's, counter, that's counterproductive. That does not go with our culture. We, we, that's, uh, don't blame yourself. Maybe you've been blaming yourself. No, blame yourself. I know it's counterproductive and it doesn't fit into our little cog that we have, but uh, here's the deal. Everybody you blame, you give them power. Every person you blame, now, now the blame is on them. Well, they have the power to fix it, and they ain't never going to fix it because half of them don't even know they've been blamed. When you put the blame on you, now you also have the power to make a difference. Here's what, we, here's what people don't tell you when they're giving you them, them good old advices and saying, well, don't blame yourself. Here's what they're not telling you. If you don't blame yourself, then you can never fix the problem. Because if I'm blaming all them, then they have all the power. They have to get right. They got to come apologize to me. They got to pay me my money back. They, it's all on them now. And, and I'll never be right because I gave them all the power with my blame. But when you get introspective and you say, you know, what have I done? What did I say? How, could I have said that better? Could I have done that better? Could, could I have, yeah, yeah. When you start doing that, what you realize is you got a bigger hand than this than you thought you did. And here's the deal. If you put the blame on you, then you have the power to fix it. Yeah. Because, I listen, I can't control nobody but me. I can't control me. I just can't control y'all. If you don't blame 10, 12, 13 people, well, it's going to be hard for you to ever have peace. 
Because getting all them people to make it right with you is going to be very difficult. Getting all them people to see it your way is going to be so difficult. But if you say, you know what? Some bad things happened to me in my past. Some people did hurt me. Some people did betray me. Yes, they did. But they didn't, make, they didn't hold a gun to my head and make me act the way I'm acting right now. No, no, no. I, I, I chose that. And see, when you start doing that kind of stuff, you get introspective. What you see begins to change. What you see begins to change. Because if you can see yourself as the, per, as the person who's to blame, but also see yourself as the person who can make the difference, now you've given yourself power. Now you've turned it all away. And the third question is, what does great look like? What does great look like? If I was the best version of myself, what would I do right now? Here's the, here's the funny thing about that question is we all know the answer to that automatically. We don't have to think about it. If I was the best version of myself, what would I do? If I was the best dad in the world, what would I do right now? If I was the best mom in the world, what would I do right now? If I was the best employer in the world, what would I do right now? If I was the best saint on the planet, what would I be doing right now? If, if I was the greatest child of God and I love God more than anybody else in the world and, and, and I believe God and I was the best saint of God that ever existed on the planet, what would I be doing right now? When you ask yourself that question, you, all, you already have an answer. And whatever the answer is, go do that. When you wake up on Sunday morning, you don't feel like it because you've been offended, you've been hurt, or you don't, you, you, you're lazy, or you just don't think it's worth anything, or you don't think nobody loves me, and, and you stop, stop, what are the facts? What have I done? What does, if I was the best saint in the world, what does great look like? Well, great would probably get up out of bed, pull up my bootstraps, go to church, worship God, get in the front row and worship. Lift my hands and praise God. Go do that. Whatever's in your head, go do that. Because here is the deal. Once you start doing that kind of stuff, you can't help but see the truth. You see the truth. And you say, well, the Pastor Chavis, the truth is ugly. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes the truth is ugly. And, you know, there's a saying that we say. We say, the truth hurts. You ever, you ever heard that before? <clears throat> but that ain't in the Bible. In the Bible. There is a verse in the Bible about truth, though. Y'all know that verse? Here's what the verse in the Bible says about truth. Here's what the, ver about the Bible, here's what God said about truth. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Hallelujah. 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 The truth is ugly? Yes, it is, but it set me free. The truth doesn't match up with what I think? That's fine, but it set me free. You know what the truth is? that I'm, I'm to blame for some of this, and it set me free. When, when I saw the truth, the, the facts, when I saw the truth, the truth helped me be a better saint of God. When, when I saw the truth, the truth set more than anything else in my life. Just knowing the truth helped me more than anything. And the truth was ugly. The truth hurt. The truth was painful, but it set me free. When I knew the truth, the truth made all the difference. Amen? So I ask you one more time before I close today. What do you see? What do you see? Would you stand with me today? If I hurt anybody's feelings, I apologize. Um, if that beeping aggravated you in my message today, I apologize for that too. 
But here's what I want you to know is that living for God is orthodoxy, orthopraxy, right believing, right behavior. There, there is spirituality and there's practicality. And, and, and I believe that those two things are joined together. I believe those two things are joined together and you cannot separate the two. We need to be spiritual, but we also need to be practical. And getting our perspective right is a spiritual yet practical way that we can live for God and walk in freedom. In the truth of God's word, in the truth of God's power and, and provision, we can see the truth and the truth shall set us free. And sometimes the truth is I am looking at this thing all wrong. I am All I see is what the enemy has done and I cannot see that God is on my side and there are the mountains are full of chariots and horses and greater is he that is in me than he that's trying to destroy me. Amen. Would you lift your voice and would you pray with me today? We want to thank you again for joining us on the Truth Chapel podcast. May you have a blessed day and walk in the favor of the Lord.